everyone, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to the Team Success Podcast. Today, I am super, super excited because I get to talk to a dear friend and client, Sally Hogshead, and some of you may be very, very familiar with her because she is a two New York Times bestselling author in two years. I have no idea how that's even possible. She's the creator and originator of the Fascinate Profile, and she has a very special gift for you. And if you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I am totally into tools and assessments and profiles that really help people increase their self-awareness and understand themselves better and how they can use that to tap into their unique ability and have the impact that they want to have in the world. And one of the reasons why I'm so excited to talk to you, Sally, is because you've created a profile that is not only about how you see yourself in the world, but actually how the world sees you. And in your brilliant book, which I'm thoroughly enjoying reading, which is called How the World Sees You, (laughs) Discover Your Highest Value Through the Science of Fascination, you really make the point that this is both a personality profile and marketing combined into one. And I don't know anything else that does that. So I am super ecstatic to, A, share you with my world, (laughs) my audience. And I really appreciate you taking the time and just sharing your enthusiasm and passion for how people can be more of their selves and have more of an impact in the world, which is really what you're up to. I am excited, Gina. We've been talking about doing this for a while, so I'm psyched that we get the chance to. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to have one of our conversations that we tend to have either in Toronto at Strategic Coach or on the phone that now I get to go back and listen to it because we're recording it. So I get to hear over and over the wonderful things you say. Thank you so much. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing all the wonderful things you say. So let's jump in with, well, let's give a little bit of your background because you'll do a much better intro of you than I will, other than I adore you. So what should people know about you in terms of how you created the Fascinate Profile, your background? You've got some amazing science behind what you do. I mean, this is not just something that's made up, everybody. This is researched. It's backed up and it comes from your long history with experience with marketing. So share some of that. Could I introduce myself through a story? Absolutely. Okay. When I was growing up, my dad is an orthopedic surgeon. He's retired now. And the ways he and I spent time together was I would drive with him to do rounds when he was seeing his patients. And I remember one day, it was January, it was freezing cold. I was 10 years old and we were going over a bridge and he was talking to me about how much he loved his work because it allowed him to create change in the world through his surgery. And that's the last thing that I remember before I woke up from a coma. And what had happened was when we exited the bridge, a tow truck slammed into the door of our car, wrapped around a telephone pole. My dad and I both lost consciousness. When he regained consciousness, he saw that I wasn't breathing, pulled me out of the car, and the tow truck had slammed into the side of my face. The windshield had shattered like shrapnel covering me. I was covered in blood. He was doing CPR on me on the side of the road. Somebody drove by and called my mom and said, your daughter's been killed in a car accident. No. So it was very scary. But the scariest part for me was that when I did regain consciousness after extensive surgery, they didn't know how long it had been that I had been without oxygen. I did start to mentally come back after a while, but the problem was my face was paralyzed. There had been so much nerve damage. Half of my face was paralyzed. And I remember the first time I saw myself in the mirror feeling like I looked grotesque because there were these big, ugly, dark green stitches all over my face. The real problem was that I couldn't smile. And uh, smiling had always been my main way of interacting with the world, the way in which I felt that I could share a bond to communicate. It was the essence of how I saw myself. And when I couldn't smile, 
it felt like that part of me had died in the accident. I mean, just thinking about it, I didn't know the word demoralized, but I knew that I stopped talking to people and I withdrew because it was so embarrassing for me, the way my face looked when I tried to talk and smile. And it took years for that to come back. But the experience taught me very deeply about what it's like to not be able to communicate yourself, to communicate who you are at your best. And that feeling of disconnection, of loss of self-worth, loss of self-identity, when your key mode of communication, when it's stripped from you, it kills part of you. Mm -hmm. Early on, I decided that giving people the ability to communicate their highest value was intensely important to me. And I didn't have those words yet, but I had the concept because I had tasted what it was like to be trapped in a body in which I was essentially mute. Years later, while I was a student at Duke University, I spent time in Africa. I lived with a tribe for a short time with a a woman who had 13 children, no husband, no electricity, no options. And it was at that point that I decided watching this, I saw in some sense what the experience that I'd had was the experience that that she had in her life, that her self-worth was being stripped away because she didn't have any way to communicate her highest value. So I went into advertising and that for me was always a real source of joy, the coming up with ideas. Like Dan, I was a copywriter. When I was 24, I was the most award-winning copywriter in the United States. When I was 27, I opened up my first ad agency in Los Angeles. And when I was 31, my work was hung in the Smithsonian Museum of American History. And the reason why I was able to accelerate that so quickly is because the experience of the car accident had taught me what it's like to not have an identity, to not have a brand, and how important it is to be able to instantly identify what makes a brand different and what the brand does best. In other words, if you can identify what makes a brand different, it becomes more valuable, more admired, more loved. And in the same way, it's true for us as individuals. If we're trapped in a job in which we can't communicate our highest value, if we can't communicate who we are when we're performing at our peak, then we lose confidence. And I decided that I wanted to build my career around this, not doing it for brands, but doing it for people. So I took all of my experience in advertising, my understanding of how focus groups work and research and data and how to apply that with creativity. And out of that came the fascination advantage assessment, the one that you were just describing. And now we've had a million people do the assessment, a million professionals. We have clients like Twitter and NASA, AT&T and Porsche, But mostly we work, about 50% of the people who've done the assessment are high-performing entrepreneurs. It's crucial for a high-performing entrepreneur to know who they are and what they do differently because that becomes the key, not only building their brand, but of being able to live in your wellspring. So all these experiences tie together of the level of performance that we can achieve when we understand how others see us at our best versus what are our key areas of disadvantage when we're most likely to make a really negative impression and damage our reputation because we're communicating in a way that's not authentic and not our prime area of confidence. Wow, I had no idea. (laughs) I mean, part of what I love about that, first of all, congratulations on an incredible transformation because looking at you, I would never know that. You're beautiful. And the other part of it is I totally get your drive for really having people be able to understand and appreciate their unique value creation in the world and having a way to communicate that. And also what I wrote to you before our conversation was how to stay out of trouble. (laughs) How to stay out of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Like there are very predictable danger zones that if you allow yourself to wander into them, either because you're stressed or you're in a situation in which you are very unlikely to positively contribute, it's really easy to prevent as long as you know it, as long as you're very clear on areas not to wander into. I love when something gives me the guardrails. 
Yeah. Cleaning up messes and getting in trouble isn't my most fun way to spend time. <laughs> I would much prefer to stay in my sweet spot. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's just a much better use of mental and physical, emotional, every kind of energy. So I love that. And also, part of what we're going to get into and why I was so excited to talk about this in the context of team success is because... Let me put it this way. The only titles I like are unique ability titles. Mm. I hate people trying to fit themselves into a role. I hate when people feel like they have to represent themselves or fit themselves in without actually understanding what their best contribution is, which is what you've been talking about. And part of what I love about Fascination Advantage is that it really quickly and easily, the profile is so easy, everybody, gets you into it's like, oh, this is you. And also, this is who you're not. And that is so useful. The whole idea of personal branding and differentiating yourself and staying out of competition, you know, that is so critical for teamwork, what we call unique ability teamwork. This is a whole other asset in your pile of stuff that just makes it so valuable. But I love how quickly you do it. So I'm going to tell you very generously, given our audience, our listeners, a free assessment, a free fascinated assessment. So this is pretty sweet, everybody. <laughs> this yeah. is a big gift. So I want to give you the link. So what to do is go to howtofascinate.com forward slash you, Y-O-U, and then the code you put in is team success one word, which gives you the free express profile if you want the extended version, but you'll get everything you need in the express version. So you can know what we're talking about. So if you want to go check it out, first of all, keep listening. But second of all, this is a free offer so you can have the context and understand as we're going through it what it means. And I'm going to share my profile. You're going to share yours. I'll talk about my teams, which I'm super excited about. You can, there's some that are pretty funny, let me tell you. It explains why some of us are such a great fit to work together, which I'm excited to share. We'll repeat this too at the end. So again, howtofascinate.com forward slash you. Team success is your code for a free express version. So anyway, thank you, Sally, for that very generous offer. And here's something really cool, Shannon, that I know you have taught me so much about teams that I want to bring that up, that it's extremely useful to get the Colby for your team and the DISC and StrengthsFinder and Myers-Briggs. But this is a different slice of data because it describes how team members see each other and how people are perceived at their best by clients and customers. So it's not a replacement for Colby. It's an addition so that instead of measuring how a person is most likely to see the world and what they want to do, this is the opposite. It's through the lens of branding. So I really recommend that people share this with their teams and then come together as a, say, a half day or even a lunch and learn. Have everybody bring their results and then go around and we'll talk about adjectives in a moment. The adjectives are the words that describe how others perceive you at your best. It's an incredibly motivating but also enlightening aha kind of experience to share. So people are welcome to share so that they can start to see how their relationships are built. Awesome. I love that. So what we're going to get into right now, and I appreciate you bringing up other profiles because everyone knows I'm a bit of a profile junkie. That's true. <laughs> Done most, a lot of them that I can get my hands on. But Fascinate for me is different. And it, you're right, doesn't replace Colby or StrengthsFinder or Myers-Briggs or DISC or any of the other that are my favorite playground, because that's all kind of how I look at myself. But when Fascinate is how the world sees you, We'll talk more about that. So I want everyone to understand the context of what we're talking about. And in the team, it can be really, really important. And at least with the names of the people I've seen so far, they're incredibly accurate and very fun. But before we get into that, let's go through the seven different advantages and the ways that people show up so that we can start to put a framework together so people can understand what we're talking about. What are the seven different advantages? Shannon, I'll give a quick look back in time so we have context for what I mean by the word fascination and how this links to Done. everything. 
I was doing some research on attention. How do we get and keep and hold attention in a crowded and distracted market? And I found something in a medical journal that described fascination as one of the oldest words in written language. It comes from ancient Latin, and the word is fascinare. Fascinare literally translated from ancient Latin means to bewitch or hold captive so your listener is powerless to resist. <laughs> to bewitch or hold captive. And I thought, you know, that is dark and freaking cool. And it's different than marketing, which is built on awareness and, and recall and logos. So I began looking into it and I saw that fascination is a concept that's linked to hypnotism and spellbinding because it's neurologically based in our brain as a form of hypnosis. So as I began exploring this, what I saw is what brands are really trying to do when a brand is marketing or advertising, what the brand is trying to do is to earn attention, keep attention, and to be seen at its best. The problem is branding tends to be constructed according, traditionally, according to how big is the media budget, how many messages can we get out there, how many times can we get in front of our prospect. And that just doesn't work anymore in a world with short attention spans and heavy commoditization. So... When I drew upon my background in advertising, what I learned was if you can identify the most highly differentiated traits of a brand and communicate that very quickly as the value proposition, it becomes easy for you to raise your prices. In fact, what I found is commodity products can charge 400% more if there's something about the brand that fascinates the consumer. So that's the difference that fascination makes, 400% more. That's an amazing statistic, everybody. Pay attention to that. I'll spell it out even more. I did an experiment dating back to my branding days. I did an experiment in which I gave women two pairs of sunglasses that were exactly the same. So the glasses themselves were a commodity, but one pair of sunglasses had a Chanel logo. And I asked people how much they'd be willing to pay for these two pairs of sunglasses. And they were willing to pay 400% more for the pair with the Chanel logo than the pair that didn't. So in other words, what they were paying for was glasses, but what they were really buying was a way to be fascinating. And I started looking more deeply into this. And what I learned was, I said, how much would you be willing to pay if you knew that you could be the most fascinating person in the room? People were willing to pay on average more than they pay for their car payment if they could be promised to get, keep, hold the attention of people in any room. So the learning is this, in the same way that brands need to differentiate themselves, but to get, keep, hold attention so they can be heard and remembered. As individuals, we have certain qualities that are built into who we are, that if we highlight those, emphasize those, kind of double down on those qualities, then we can become a specialist. But it's not based on psychology. It's based on what do other people value in us? In other words, if you had a choice, how do you see your client versus how does your client see you Which would you choose? Do you want to know how you see your client or do you want to know how your client sees you? How my client sees me. (laughs) Yes. And so this is kind of like valuable reconnaissance to know what the person sitting on the other side of the table, what are they most likely to be impressed and influenced by you in your natural, authentic mode of communication? What I discovered over the course of the last decade of researching fascination and the science behind it, my initial research was on brands. And so I was looking at what are the categories of what makes one brand fascinating and others forgotten? And I found that there are these seven different categories, and I'll go into those in just a moment. But as I started looking, what makes Tesla more fascinating than a GE electric car? Why can Morton Salt charge 187% more than generic salt, even though it's the exact same salt? What's going on in our brains neurologically that we're so attracted to certain qualities? And I mapped those out. After a few years, I started realizing, you know, what if we could do this with individuals? What if we could apply 
the same methodology that brands have always used through focus grouping and ask questions that elicit an understanding of what are the cues and signals that an individual is consciously or unconsciously communicating to the world and is making a very specific impression on other people and defines how that individual is most likely to add value. So it took me about three years, but I was able to build an algorithm that measured exactly that based on the principles of the focus groups that I had developed with brands like Mini Cooper, Coca-Cola, Nike, et cetera. And the result is the algorithm that when you take the fascination advantage, it's measuring the cues and signals that you're intentionally or unintentionally sending to your listener that will either determine whether they continue to listen to you, remember you and take action or forget and ignore you. Wow, that's incredible. And how long does the profile take to do? Well, I'll tell you something funny. It actually, it takes less than three minutes because it's 28 questions. It's right. fast, but I'll tell you a funny insider geeky secret, Shannon. When I originally created the assessment, I worked with a bunch of researchers and they told me something that turned out to not be true, which is the more people are invested in the length and intensity of an assessment, the more they value the result. And I thought, well, that was true when Myers-Briggs was created in the middle of the last century before Mark Zuckerberg was born. <laughs> but it's not true in a world with a short attention span. No, not at all. So we found that 28 questions told us everything we needed to measure how somebody is most likely to be perceived at their best or their worst. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. So if you haven't done it yet, please run and do it. <laughs> it's so good. So thank you for defining the word fascinating because that's a really, you've chosen a very interesting word and we want to fascinate people authentically based on what the best part of who we are. And I love that point about not getting into trouble, but also when you're trying to make a difference and have an impact and be seen and heard and communicate effectively and you're not being that or that you're not having that impact, it's very disheartening. And what you've given here is a massive clue as to how to position yourself, I'm going to say properly, to have the impact you want to have versus when you're not effective. And that dividing line is so useful for people because it doesn't matter what role you play in life, in a company, an organization, on a team. We all want to be able to get our particular message across effectively, and we can't do that, as you discovered when you were 11. It's horrible. This is a massive gift, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of people's awareness and the difference it can make. Love it. Something that could be a really cool illustration is there are friends that you and I have in common that we have their fascination advantage result. So I can describe what those advantages are by using it with real life examples, if that's useful. For sure. A moment ago, we were talking about how... When you feel fascinating, you are confident. When you're confident, you perform better. And when you perform better, you get better results. And if you can start to identify what is that specialty so you can do it over and over again, not only are you living in what Dan calls your unique ability, but more importantly, you're going to have the highest chance of making the best first impression so you can make the biggest difference. It's all about how other people see you. Mm -hmm. So how about Shannon, why don't we take a look at <laughs> some examples of these advantages. For sure. Go ahead. Well, and why don't we just list the seven so that people will have a little bit of familiarity with each of the means and then we'll start to play in, because you really focus on the top two and how those combine. And I discovered that my dear friend and co-designer on everything, Kathy Davis, and I have the same things only reversed. You have the same top two advantages just in a different order. Thank you. That's a better way to say it. But yeah, that's called a twin. And we drive that in a moment. I love that I have a twin. <laughs> I'll tell you in a moment as I go through this, JJ Virgin and Lisa Sasevich are twins. That means like you guys, they have the same top two advantages. 
So I'll dive right in. These are the seven categories that I first discovered for brands. The first advantage is innovation. People and brands that communicate primarily with innovation are most likely to add value because they surprise and disrupt because they think so creatively, they can constantly generate new solutions and they don't get stuck. So this is the person that you want on your team when it's important to not become irrelevant or stale because they're constantly living in a space of what has not been thought of before. The second advantage is passion. Passion personalities have a huge competitive advantage when it comes to connecting with people. It's very easy for them to start to build rapport through emotion and stories and color and adjectives. (laughs) You can see me right now, Shannon. As you can tell, I have a primary passion advantage because you can see me using my hands even though (laughs) power personalities lead the way. They're authorities. They naturally like to be able to be in charge and in control. They have a goal, a specific goal, and they want to move towards it very quickly. They get really frustrated if people around them lose sight of the goal or if people start settling for a smaller goal. In fact, that's a big problem with a lot of entrepreneurs is because they're so confident and so goal-oriented, it's difficult for them to keep their teams engaged because the entrepreneur with primary power is thinking, hunt the deer, hunt the deer. And the team is like, well, wait a minute, you've got this goal in your head, but you haven't really explained it to us. That's part of the reason why the impact filter is so important. Our next advantage is prestige. And I'm going to give some awesome examples of how prestige works through the world of high-end entrepreneurs. Prestige is the language of excellence. It's about every piece of communication is designed to improve the results and raise the standard. Prestige personalities are, they get really frustrated when they're working with somebody who's willing to settle by people who are so focused on getting out of the office that they're, they're not getting it done right. One of the things that we have in common with Shannon, with the community in which we live, the people that we know in common is they all have very high standards and that's what leads to achievement. The important thing to remember for people who have primary prestige is sometimes they can become brittle and cold. It can be perceived as kind of imperialistic, you know, like they won't settle for anything. They're impossible to satisfy. They're constantly criticizing. So that's kind of their danger zone. Trust personalities. I define trust as neurological consistency through repetition. In branding, that's where that comes from, is repetition through consistency. Brands like Kellogg's, AT&T. When we look back, we can see branding used to be all built around trust because it was who had the logo with the greatest recognition on the shelf in the grocery store. The problem with trust, with brands and with people, is trust personalities tend to do the same thing over and over again, and they're very slow to adopt. So they struggle and fall behind in a market in which there's disruption and rapidly accelerating technology. So there's a real downside to just focusing on trust. It's also a danger for entrepreneurs because we don't have decades to build our brand. We don't have billion-dollar budgets. And most of us don't have the biggest budget in our category. So I want to put a caution mark around thinking that trust is where we should hang our hat because it's becoming a commodity. Next is mystique. It's the most complex of all the advantages. Somebody who has primary mystique and encapsulates this beautifully is Dan Kennedy. It's a personality who, instead of speaking, they listen. They are internally negotiating, almost like a chess player. And by giving little information, they retain a lot of control. Mystique personalities are excellent on the team for entrepreneurs because instead of While the entrepreneur is frequently coming up with one idea right after another or focusing on the next meeting and charging into the next presentation, the mystique personality stops, thinks, processes, 
and comes back when they have an answer. They don't want to talk about their thinking midstream. They want to wait till it's done. A cautionary mark to entrepreneurs with their teams is sometimes entrepreneurs perceive that mystique personalities aren't contributing in a brainstorming meeting or like they're not talking fast enough, you know, just sort of like get to the point. And that's the very reason why it's so important for entrepreneurs to have these amazing listeners. They tend to be analytic and strategic and that supports the implementation and execution for the entrepreneur. Next is alert or seventh and final one. Alert personalities are incredibly rare among entrepreneurs. In fact, it's less than 1% for an entrepreneur to have primary alert. Alert is the language of details. It's focusing in on making sure that things are precise, they're on budget, they're on time. It's the guardrails that we put around a project. Alert personalities are difficult to find, but I specifically hire for them. So when I'm putting out word that I'm looking for somebody on my team that I need to be highly structured, I say, I'm looking for somebody who loves to make lists, loves to cross things off their lists, and then makes lists of the lists. So when I'm creating the big picture, then I know that the invoice is actually going to get out the door. So I encourage entrepreneurs, one of the biggest mistakes that we make is say, I have primary passion. I used to think that I wanted to hire other people with primary passion because we had such great chemistry, you know, woohoo. And the problem was that nothing was actually getting done. We were having a good time. (laughs) But things aren't getting out the door. So when you look at these seven advantages, you can think of them like a recipe. And it's our job as leaders to find the team that's going to optimize us, not necessarily replicate us, but to optimize us so that we can focus on the way in which we are most likely to add the most value through our specialty. I love that. And it's interesting because entrepreneurs definitely have some patterns (laughs) of how they show up. Can we talk about those patterns for a minute? We can, but also in terms of team. So my dearest colleague ever of life is Nicole. And Nicole is the good citizen. She is trust and alert. And without her, nothing, nothing happens. She got me here talking to you on time with the right link, all this kind of good stuff. So often who we need to support us or back us up and the right place for them. And we have this thing about stay on your side of the line. Like I don't try and do her job. In fact, I put something in the calendar and I, I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I scheduled something. <laughs> I moved something. I had to ask her permission about my calendar. She's terrified. Like, yeah. oh my God, the change agent who <laughs> with power and innovation has just started screwing around with my mental spreadsheet. Exactly. And I'm very cautious because that's her zone. That's her part. But it's interesting, but we're just such brilliant, brilliant teammates together because we complement each other so well. So we'll get more into those details. But yes, let's dive into some of the profiles of people that we and you as a listener will know too, because we, we talk about these folks a lot. Great. Of the 1 million professionals that we've measured, about 300,000 of them self-identified as small business owners or entrepreneurs, solopreneurs. About 50,000 of those are the high performers. They're the ones who are really focused on making big changes, growing, scaling, contributing with intensity. And when we measured them, one of the things we saw is these entrepreneurs do two things differently. First thing is the high performers deliver a specific benefit. The people who are really good at doing big picture visionary thinking are staying as far away as they can from being associated with projects or tasks that require them to be perceived as an expert or an authority in a different area. Second thing they do is they have a specialty. They build their personal brand and their company's brand around highly differentiating qualities. So let's take a look at some people that we know. First of all, I went back before our conversation, I started looking at um, some of the entrepreneurs that we've measured, and I saw that they really fall into two camps. There are two camps 
that I'll describe. And then there are a few outliers. The first camp that I'm going to describe, the first collection, it has primary prestige and secondary innovation. Now, remember, we talked a moment ago, prestige, all their communication is focused on how can I improve and how can I raise the bar? Innovation personalities, of course, are the big picture creative thinkers. When you combine innovation and prestige, the archetype or the ideal personal brand is named the avant-garde. Recently, when we went in, we studied Genius Network members, about 350 of them, and we found that 16.7% of them are this one archetype. In other words, it's statistically radically almost unthinkable that out of 42 archetypes, 16% of Genius Network is one. And the reason is because Joe Polish is an avant-garde. He communicates with prestige and innovation. Leaders of a tribe tend to attract more people who have the same kind of advantage. You can't apply the same thing to marriage or best friendships, but certainly the kind of messages you put out are going to be most attractive to the kind of person who responds to that type of communication. The three adjectives that describe Joe Polish as the avant-garde are original, enterprising, and forward-thinking. I'm going to pause a moment just to describe the importance of the adjectives. Remember, the system is built on branding, and I was a copywriter. So in a sense, when somebody takes the assessment, I'm giving them the marketing copy for them to describe themselves. When you take the assessment, you'll be able to go in. (laughs) This is a cool little secret. You can verbatim take the copy that I'm using to describe you to you, put it in first person, and then use that as your website copy, your bio, your LinkedIn profile, any of those times when you feel a little insecure about how to describe yourself. Wow. Other avant-garde, we have Dean Jackson. I just went to Dean Jackson's Blueprint Breakthrough, loved it. Roland Frazier, Perry Marshall, all of those are avant-garde. The other type of entrepreneur that we see a lot, very prevalent, is power and prestige. So remember, power, big, kind of charging, very confident, very focused, high energy. It's all about the goal, hunt the deer, hunt the deer, (laughs) combined with prestige, which is about excellence, as we just discussed. When you combine power and prestige, the archetype, meaning the ideal personal brand, is named the maestro. If you think of a maestro, it's the person who's organizing and steering. They're in charge. They're in the front of the room. They know the plan. They know how to execute it. A few maestros that we know are JJ Virgin, Ryan Dice, Rich Sheffrin, and the list goes on. There's a fantastic lineage of maestros. There's also a concept called a twin. The twin, as we discussed a moment ago, is your primary advantage and your secondary in reverse order, which is how you might show up on a different day at a different time. It's just like a different facet of yourself. Lisa Sasevich is the twin of the maestro. Her archetype is named the victor. The three adjectives that describe Lisa are respected, competitive, and results-oriented. In a very practical sense, a way to start that people can be applying this as they're thinking about it is your archetype, the adjectives that describe your archetype are like your marketing positioning. The adjectives define how you are different than others. And when you can describe how you're different, it's much easier for you to differentiate yourself and find that specialty. When we take these words, this is kind of that magic zone when you're most likely to make a positive impression and impress the person on the other side of the table. Let's take Jeffrey Gittimer. You know Jeffrey, right? I think so. Mm -hmm. Little Red Book of Selling. Yoki, yes. Jeffrey's a change agent. He and I had a conversation recently. He's a change agent like you. Very creative, great at accomplishment. And he said to me, well, how do I apply this when I'm about to step into an important meeting? 
I said, okay, imagine that we're standing outside the doors of that meeting. It's a tremendous prospect. Maybe you even have to fire somebody, but it's, you have to get maybe your board of directors on board. The way in which you are most likely to be perceived at your highest value is defined by these adjectives. You don't have to literally use the adjectives, but that's the mode of communication that you should be focusing on. Sometimes it's easy to go into a meeting and think, have you ever gotten nervous before a meeting? And it's like, should I be funny? Should I be the smart one? Should I be the detailed analytical one? So knowing your archetype gives you the perception of the person who's listening to you. If they're the focus group, this is how you're most likely to win them over and to get them on your side. Let's talk about you just for a sec. Well, I actually, I just had an insight from what you said, because I'm the change agent. And I just realized my last book, Multiplication by Subtraction, Mm. which has had a gracefully let go of wrong fit team members, that entire book is a conversation about change. Ah, (laughs) Which is like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that's exactly what I'm doing in that book is saying, okay, I'm making you more aware of a situation that's not working. I'm giving you strategies for how to deal with it. And the last case scenario, if you can't make it better, is here's how to do the exit process. So I am actually, the entire book is all about being a change agent. I never saw that until the second. And when you were writing the book, when you're in the mode of being able to be perceived as somebody who creates change, what does that feel like for you? It's fabulous because for me, it's always positive change. It's always according to my values. It's always in a way that's going to make people's lives better. But I'm kind of like, you need to make this change. You know, I was inspired by Dr. Henry Cloud's book, Necessary Endings, but I get so frustrated when I see that a change needs to happen and it's not. So what inspired the book was I would meet with my client, entrepreneurs, and they'd have this person working for them often in a very senior position. And I'd meet this person and know almost immediately that they were there for their reasons, not the entrepreneurs. Mm. And it's like, oh, this is not good. They're not aligned with you. They're not on your beach. <laughs> They're not going to play according to your playbook. And it will do you harm. And I would say that. And then two years later, they say, you know that person that you said there was going to be a problem? I finally let them go. And I'm like, oh, it took so long. So that's actually what caused me to write the darn book because I wanted to be a change agent faster. And it's all the feedback I've gotten is like, thank you. You helped me make a decision that I was either not aware of or putting off. And one client was hysterical. He said, if I know it only took 15 minutes, I would have done it way faster. (laughs) But that's just the change agent profile. But by all means, tell me more about being a change agent because it's very insightful for me at the moment. I have your report open in front of me. This is the description of how the world sees you. I'm going to give you four bullet points. You're a creative thinker who thrives on reinvention. You're independent, witty, and sharp. You have a strong drive to come up with a different approach. And you bring alternative opinions to dull meetings and fresh ideas to stale companies. I think that's on page five of your report. That's the opening introduction of what it means to be a change agent. So Shannon, when you think about the kind of situations that allow you to deliver the highest value, to really add value, to not just take up space, but to add value, it's crucial for you to be able to identify the clients and companies and situations in which what they need most to fix their problem is somebody who delivers those qualities that we just described. If you're called into an opportunity that seems like it might be a great idea at the time, but they don't want you to deliver change, then you're setting yourself up for failure, not only to be demoralized, but you're going to make a terrible impression. You're not going to be perceived at your best. So here's how I want to think about this. And I'm going to be annoyed. Yeah. And, and, so, and, and here's the thing. If you're annoyed, you're communicating annoyance. 
And then you're perceived as being domineering and disengaged. Yes. And then the client is unlikely to have a positive talk value about you. Or worse, they refer more of their type of clients to you. I had this happen in 2010 when the economy was tanking. It was really hitting rock bottom. First thing to get cut is the marketing budget. And at the time, my company was functioning as an advertising agency. So I was really in a tough spot. I was the sole breadwinner with young kids at home. So... I had to take jobs, projects that I really didn't want to and that I would never have taken under other circumstances, but it was just out of necessity. And I remember there was a client that I thought was going to be incredibly cool. It's one of the world's coolest, I'm using air quotes, coolest brands. But when I got there, after they had hired me and we already had like a year-long deal going, what I learned was they had a good thing going. They're a privately held company. They didn't want somebody to rock the boat and new ideas they had a fear were going to screw up their chuck wagon. So I had to spend a year totally struggling and feeling, not just feeling discouraged, but doing a really crappy job. And then of course, it's a downward spiral. So that's why it's so important for us as entrepreneurs to identify who are the prospects, the clients, and the situations for which our highest value is the best possible solution. So another way, what is the problem for which you are the solution? And then how can you provide the solution in the most highly differentiated way possible? I love this. For me, it is just really helping. And it's so great talking to you about it because it's even clearer than what I've read. It's just sinking in differently is that's how I'm going to position myself. And I actually had a client say to me, he said, you're really good when I'm at a pivot point. And I thought to myself, change. Yes, that's exactly where if you want me to maintain, not my jam, not my deal. And yet you need a maintainer on your team, right? Like a good citizen. I do have, I have a brilliant citizen. Yes, I have a good citizen on my team. And together we're always right, as Dan likes to say about he and Babs. But it's really knowing where to place yourself. And I also really like what you were just saying is that not only is it frustrating for you when you're not well-placed, but you don't come across as well. So what are some of the downsides just for fun of a change agent who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yes. And we'll, maybe we'll get into dormant things too, because you have an, another term that's really cool to know about yourself when you're not in your right place. One of my key principles when I was a copywriter was that this concept of strategic polarization, that it's really important for you to understand who you're not and how you're least likely to add value so that you can consciously avoid it as a quicksand that's going to ruin your reputation and your perceived value. Now, that's strong language, but let me describe what for you is not your highest value. I'm on the same page of the report. It says, what is not the highest and best value of the change agent? And the answer is situations in which you have to follow deadlines, a step-by-step process, because you're more excited about instigating new plans than finishing them. 100%. The second thing is, it's important for you to surround yourself with methodical communicators, such as alert, mystique, and trust, to turn your ideas into reality through execution. Now, we just talked about your ideal team member has alert and trust. So that allows you to not do it. Your dormant advantage, I'm looking at your analytics here, of the seven advantages, you score really high on power and innovation. You score low on the three qualities that most entrepreneurs do, which is alert, mystique, and trust. You're not a fan of details. You prefer to contribute rather than stand back, and you dislike consistency. Of the seven, which one is the way in which you are least likely to add value? Yours was trust, and so is mine. And trust has a loaded connotation, so I want to describe what that means. People who score low on trust dislike consistency, they hate repetition, 
They're really bad at doing the same thing over and over again. So what happens is when they're working with a client who wants consistency or wants them to replicate what has worked in the past, they tend to just naturally reinvent something and that breaks the client's expectations. And so they have broken trust. So the important thing is when you score low on trust and alert, which most entrepreneurs do, is to identify ahead of time what that danger zone is. And you can do one of three things. You're the three things to overcome this dormant area of your communication. First thing you can do is delegate. Dan's a whiz at that. So find a partner, a team member, even co-brand. So that goes off your plate. Second thing is you can discipline. I hate going through emails. I loathe spreadsheets, but I know that there are certain parts of my business where it's crucial that I'm the one who does that. So I discipline myself to sit down, have an hour of agony, and I'm just going to pound through it and I'm going to be exhausted at the end. I schedule it ahead of time, those types of things, knowing that I'm not going to feel energized and fulfilled. Another example of this, Dan Kennedy, when he and I were talking, because he scores high on mystique and he scores very low on passion, his dormant is passion, which means he's very unlikely to be seen as an emotional, energetic, bond-building communicator. He's so drained by cocktail parties that he either has somebody else go in his stead or he only goes for a super finite amount of time or he does the last option for your dormant, which is he deletes it. So I hate doing expense reports. What I found was that I would work with a client or work with a company. We'd have this amazing kind of love fest and the happy bubbles were flying in the air like carbonation. And then all of a sudden I would get home and the emails would start going back and forth between my office manager and theirs talking about where's the receipt for the Cinnabon. And it would ruin the entire afterglow of the effect. So I deleted it. So that's the third option. You can delegate, discipline, or delete your dormant. And once you know what it is, it's easy for you to hire for that because you just simply take the adjectives that describe a trust personality and look for that in your search for that team member. I love that. And it's interesting because you also describe the conflict, which I've been trying to bridge my entire working career, between entrepreneurs and team members who often seem like completely different life forms, (laughs) put it that way, with ways of operating and systems, but you've really helped to describe it. And I appreciate knowing it. And this is the huge advantage of all the research that you've done and all the statistics that you can generate is how people tend to show up. And actually, one of the things we were talking about before this recorded conversation was the fact that you can predict who buys which I think is kind of fabulous. But in teamwork, you can predict who's going to be your best supporter. And I'm smart enough now, and my ego's out of the way enough now, that I now sell Nicole and I as a package. Mm. A client, actually, I shouldn't take so much credit for it, a client whom I adore, if he's listening, it's Tony. He said, well, when Shannon and Nicole come back, or thank you, Nicole, thank you, Shannon, for your contribution, I went, oh, we're a team. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't want to just hear from me. Uh, Nicole's contribution and her consistency and a lot of the team members were coaching would fall more into that trust and alert advantages. It was like, oh, I get it. We both together, we actually provide the full package, just one or the other. I used to joke that I would go in and work with clients and it's in, out, nobody gets hurt, mm. which is an expression that came from one of our team members. It's like, yeah, but sometimes people want more than that. So when you've got the balance and the teamwork figured out, magic can really happen. But let's get into, I love the fact that you've actually profiled your customers and you can predict who's going to buy. That's an incredible advantage that I know some people listening and their ears are pricking up right now. We intensely customize all of our communication with our community because not only do we believe that when you understand how somebody communicates, then you understand better how to communicate with them. But we also use a lot of data to be able to see what's valuable to them. 
So here's some stats that we just got in today. The average time that it takes somebody from the time that they join our community by coming on our list to the time that they purchase is radically different for the seven advantages. For mystique personalities, it takes 46 days on average. And for power personalities, it takes 234 days. Mystique personalities are three times more likely to open and click than an alert personality. Our five different archetypes represent 20% of our customer base. So what that allows us to do is to say, you know, if alert personalities are very unlikely to want to take this on and apply this within their companies, then it doesn't make sense for us to create marketing material that's watered down to the lowest common denominator. Passion personalities love to share. So the kind of content that they get is links and messages that they can share out. So they do a really great job of being our advocates, taking the message and and embracing it and living it and talking about it. And they bring their friends in. Power personalities are very quick to take action when they understand how this is going to allow them to achieve their goal more quickly. So that's something that we learned. When I saw this data, the power personalities are the slowest to take action. It means that I'm not doing a good enough job of showing them how our system allows them to achieve their goals. Trust personalities are very slow to adopt the system because it is such a departure from what they're used to. But once they're in, they're totally in. Alert personalities are... Here's something funny. Our customer service also customizes when, when somebody writes to customer service to ask a question, we research the person's primary advantage so that we can respond through customer service in the way that's going to best fit how they like to communicate. So alert personalities, they want the bullet points and they want the facts. They don't want the smiley face. <laughs> they don't want to talk about it a lot, but they do want a response really, really quickly. So the passion personality wants to make sure that they feel great about the experience they've just had or the package that they've embarked upon. So when you understand that how the different people in your community communicate differently, it allows you to take what you're already doing and not change who you are, but change the communication that they're receiving so that you can make sure that you're making the best impression every time you're communicating with them, whether it's through a face-to-face meeting, a presentation, an email. Every time you communicate, you're doing one of two things. You're either adding value or you're taking up space. And if you're just taking up space, you become human spam. So it's really important for you to understand how you are most likely to add value so that you can focus on those attributes and ignore the rest because otherwise you're at the risk of becoming the guy in the meeting who talks and nobody's listening. Right. I love every second of this because it's actually how you can better serve people too. If you know what's important to them or you pay attention to those cues and you don't make the mistake as one of our clients did talking about Colby, you said, I thought everyone was just like me, only not as good, <laughs> which, I, which I think is true of every personality or striving instinct, anything. We tend to think that other people will respond exactly the same way that we do and that they communicate in the same way that we do. And it's not accurate. It was kind of a reality slap to find out How other people see you is not necessarily how you see yourself. And there's a slight comeuppance, but it's critical to know so that you can avoid stepping on toes and torching relationships. Remember, Uber's former CEO just got ousted for when he was caught on video arguing with one of his own drivers. There was like a three-minute moment in there that was just so cringeworthy. And of course, that led to the demise of his reputation and getting ousted from the company. And that's an example of when somebody is in their double trouble mode. And the double trouble mode is when you become so hyper-focused in one certain area, either because you're stressed or you're having an egomaniac moment that you let go of the balance that's necessary for us to be perceived as multidimensional people. 
we know the passion personality who's in the office and they're the cheerleader and, you know, like great for morale and clients love them. And they're the ones who kind of bring the color and vibrancy. But if something goes wrong, they turn into the drama and their double trouble is that they become so emotionally self-consumed that they're like a raw nerve ending. Similarly, a power personality becomes dogmatic, kind of that leader who's banging his fist on the table, being aggressive. The double trouble for trust is the old guard. That, that, that means they're so focused on playing it safe that they lock out their opportunity to grow by trying new options. And so this is another thing that's really helpful for us to know. Your double trouble is your primary advantage when you're using it to a hyper extreme. And when you do that, you are being seen in your absolute worst. You're not going to do well, whether it's a presentation or a speech, but those qualities are going to become associated with you in a way that can haunt you throughout your career. Yeah. And that is so powerful. I love when a tool gives me not only my best self, but also what not to do. That's incredibly useful leadership and direction because it's like, oh yeah, here's the danger zone. Don't go here. And I could be one of those power people out of control. And, and you know, it's like, just get dogmatic. Now, just for fun, what is the double trouble for innovation? I need to know the other part too. Oh, it's called the anarchy. The double trouble for innovation is the anarchy because when creative people are too creative and they have no structure, then they become chaotic, startling and erratic. And that's when the team gets freaked out. Say it's the day before a deadline and the innovation personality comes in. They've woken up with a great idea. and like, hey, we can change everything, throw away everything we've done. And they won't listen to sometimes the practical or philosophical need to A, deliver what you promised your client, but B, also not freak your team out. Right. So this is good for us to know because your double trouble is kind of like a self-recognition. Like, yeah, okay, I can see that I do that. But it's also helpful in the office if you see somebody having like kind of hitting a low point in some way where they're doing their thing, they're doing that thing that drives you absolutely insane. If we can put language around that, like, oh, they're in their double trouble mode. Alert personalities are great with details, but in their double trouble, they become the control freak. Mystique, they become the deadbolt. They're cold, they're isolated, they're completely disengaged. And the same is true on teams. If you've got a team that has a really high use of mystique, like many IT companies do, social media people have a high use of mystique, then the team stops communicating. And so the culture starts to wind down and die because people aren't connecting and sharing ideas. Oh, that is such helpful information. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we're almost at the end of our time. And I feel like we could talk about this all day, all night, <laughs> but I love it. So People have the seven advantages. It's great as you've been talking because I'm like, oh, you know, there's someone that I know in our company who wants to package what she does so uniquely and so well and is really struggling because she's brilliant in the moment with people, but how to write it down and how to give direction. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to have her go and do the fascinate <laughs> advantage report and do the profile because that will give us such ease and direction for how people see her. Yes. Like, seriously, that's going to be my first action step as I leave. So before we wrap up, you also have some great information from all the different companies you work with about the difference in confidence that people have after they get their fascination report or advantage report and how they figure out what you call their anthem. 
And so let's talk about that for a moment, because I think, you know, as entrepreneurs and leaders, it's really great to have this information, but there's a huge increase in morale that can happen when people really know what their lane is, what their zone is, whatever you want to call it. And I want to stress that so everyone's really aware of the the value of getting it down to these two key advantages and then playing to those amazing strengths. Sure. I'll give you a couple of examples so that people can see how this actually applies. We went into a, a technology company that were struggling because although they did have differentiating qualities for the brand, the people were not resonating when they would go out and sell the product. So their sales were down. The feedback we got from their global CEO was that in the month after they did the assessment and immersed themselves in this, they closed more deals than they had in the previous two years and their biggest deal in the last four years. Whoa. That case studies in, in How the World Sees You. A financial advisor company, they used it for trying to bring in the right people. They used it for hiring, not as a screener, but to make sure they were attracting the right people in the right seats. And they said that sales doubled within a year and that they were able to be so much more accurate in understanding what they were looking for because they identified it at the beginning, not by job title, but by communication qualities. And then finally, we measured 4,000 of the highest performing salespeople within AT&T. And they reported after doing the assessment, 200% higher confidence in understanding their competitive advantage. And once they understood it, then they could start to apply it. Those are incredible stats. I mean, I don't know about you, but who wouldn't like a doubling in sales that easily? <laughs> well, with, with an assessment that takes three minutes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Heck yeah, I agree. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. All right. So I want to give everyone that link again, because if you didn't capture it or you were driving, please be safe. We want you to <laughs> arrive alive on this one. It's howtofascinate.com forward slash you. Y-O-U. Y-O-U. Thank you. Not the letter, just Y-O-U. And then the code to get your free express version is team success. And there's lots of options. You can share that to get your teams to do it, because then you can really start to figure out what not only what your fascination advantage is, but what your team's is and where you fall. And I think I'm so excited about this because I think it will give a lot of confidence to people with very different approaches. I'm always trying to build those bridges for teamwork to happen and a language and the whole communication part, which we could even spend another podcast talking about, (laughs) is just so key. So I love it that it's going to give people so much more confidence. And we know, as you said, that confidence is, as far as I'm concerned, it's the fuel for everything. Because if we're confident, we can do anything. And if we're not confident, it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. So I really appreciate everything you put together and everything you've done to help people kind of increase their impact in the world and be seen and be fascinating. I want to make sure too, Shannon, in the spirit of everything that you've contributed to my company and really kind of helped me transform my understanding of my own team. After people do the assessment, we'll send them a blank heat map, meaning it's going to be like a map where you can put down the names of the people in your office so that you can visually start to see what the patterns are. Do you have a lot of people who have one advantage or are you dispersed? And how does that help you as a leader and as a team member start to understand what are the hidden communication patterns that you haven't identified before, but are driving the results that you're getting in a positive or negative way? Well, I imagine if you have a whole cluster of people in one particular kind of area, that that actually turns into your company culture. Absolutely. In good ways and in bad ways. When we measured the highest performing GE global leaders, they scored so high in prestige that the biggest problem that we were hearing from them is the company culture was brittle and morale was low because nobody was ever satisfied with anything. And the team members were leaving because they felt like they had nothing to contribute. So it's a blessing and a curse. Your team can have double troubles too. 
Well, yeah, and then everyone's in what we call the gap at Strategic Coach, so that's so key. I usually think that a diversity in the tense of talents and strengths and advantages is so key to success because you don't need a change agent every day. (laughs) I know where to place myself to be effective and to know when to zip it and be quiet when it's not necessary. Like, if it's already working, don't break it just because you're bored. You know, it's kind of my message and coaching to myself. But this really reinforces it. And I'm going to position myself much more powerfully now as a result of really understanding, as you've just so eloquently described it, what a change agent does. And I want everyone else to walk away and be able to do the same thing. Like that to me is just a very, very, very powerful takeaway. So thank you so much, Sally. Just before we wrap up, is there anything else you want people to know? Or I love the heat map of knowing how people's teams are. Anything else they should know about how to contact you or your brilliant books, which I just totally adore. They're so well-written, and everyone knows I'm passionate about reading, so I really appreciate a well-written book. Anything else in terms of how people could reach out or connect with you or other things that are available on your website that people might want to interact with? Sure. Any questions that people have about how they can be implying this in their team and taking it to the next step, you can reach out at hello at how to fascinate. That's our awesome customer service. And Carrie has primary mystique. So she, (laughs) she listens very carefully when you talk to us. Hello at how to fascinate. I just launched my new speaking website. It's still in beta, but if you guys want to check it out, that's at sallyhogshead.com. So that's a completely different part of my brand about how I differentiate myself. And you'll be able to kind of see how I apply my own principles when I need to stand out in a cluttered market. The last thing that I'd like to mention is I'm about to launch a new company. It's named You Are Fascinating. It's about giving women and girls the words to describe themselves so they can play big and show up at their absolute best. What I have found is if a girl doesn't have the words to describe who she is. She doesn't have the identity and the confidence to be able to play big, to make mistakes, to do the world-changing work that she's meant to do. I'm sorry, I get really emotional in talking about this because it's so deeply meaningful to me. If you'd like to join me in doing this, you can check that out by letting us know that you're interested in finding out more about empowering. My goal is to power 1 million women and girls over the next 12 months. And that's it, youarefascinating.com. All you have to do is just give us your email and then we'll be telling you when we're getting ready to launch this because we're going to be starting to grow this and build this as a totally different arm of what it means to be fascinating and play big and kick ass in the world. I love that. I love that. We didn't have a lot of time today to talk about that, but particularly for people who haven't found their voice. Which is most of us. Yeah. Yeah, which is very true most of us. But I think especially for women and girls is a big deal and a big equalizer in the world. And we need everyone to be fascinating so we can, in the best way possible, take advantage of everyone's unique contributions. And that's how we're going to win at life. That's how we're going to make the difference we want to make in the world. And that's how we are going to tackle some of the big challenges. So I love, love, love the work that you're doing. And a couple of things. I really appreciate the research and the science that you put into this because that's important. And to have a million people who've done it so far, there'll be lots more, I think is a profound source of information, which I know for those people probably with mystique. (laughs) They'll be very important to know that. I also appreciate the transformation you've gone through. And so this is very personal. And I love that you've taken branding for companies and made it so accessible and easy for people. One possible subject for a future conversation is what if your comment about the company whose brand did not match how people were delivering it? 
oh my gosh, that was like, my eyes just popped open. It's like, hmm, I bet you lots of people were wondering if that's true for them. So that was a really interesting thought. I'm just leaving with so many takeaways. So I hope everyone listening has really enjoyed this conversation. Again, thank you so much for your incredible gift and your passion. She's a catalyst, by the way, in case you can't tell. Yay. Um, (laughs) So I think this is part one of a conversation. I'm sure there'll be a future one. But also, just lastly, by all means, check out howtofascinate.com. There's lots of goodies there. SallyHogshead.com. And of course, youarefascinating.com. And this is really a treat, Sally, because I have bought your books years ago. Mm. You were recommended to me by clients whom you know I won't mention on air. So I just love that we actually can now do this deep dive and I can get to share this with my audience that I adore and love so much. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for everything that you have done and are doing and are up to right in the future. That's very exciting. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. I love talking with you. (laughs) I love talking to you too. Thank you very, very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this and extracted a ton of value. If you have any questions or comments, please let us know at questions at strategiccoach.com. And as always, here's to your team success. Hi, Shannon here, and thank you very much for listening. If you like what you heard today, please take a moment to rate the Team Success Podcast on iTunes. And we'd love it if you'd share the podcast with anyone else who could benefit. If you're interested in learning more about the Strategic Coach Program for Entrepreneurs, visit us at strategiccoach.com or the Strategic Coach channel on YouTube. For free downloads and more team success strategies, visit teamsuccesshandbook.com.